It's the 29th of July, in the year of our salvation, 2008. And in the post-conciliar calendar of Holy Mother Church, this is the Feast of St. Martha, sister of Mary and Lazarus. This is Father John Zulsdorf, Father Z, as I am called, or Father Zed in other parts of the world. Today we are welcoming back as our frequent guest, St. Augustine of Hippo, who died in 430. Augustine will speak to us today about St. Martha in one of his wonderful sermons. Then we will hear a few more tales from The Little World of Don Camilo by Giovanni Guareschi. We are reading this in these podcasts in serial form in English translation. This will be the second installment of these stories, uh, set in a little village near the Po River in northern Italy, just after World War II. They tell the story of Don Camilo, the parish priest, and especially uh, how he deals with in life with the situations raised by his nemesis, the communist mayor, Pepone. Augustine of Hippo, the great doctor of grace, was very busy in his life as a bishop. He was not only the bishop of a flock, but he was, of course, a celebrated polemicist in defense of Catholic doctrine and trying to heal breaks in the church and trying to head off heresy uh, when it was uh, uh, rearing its ugly head. He was also a civil official, so he had to sit in, like a judge and judge court cases. You can imagine this guy with all these different things he had to do, judging you know whose chicken was whose. You know. And um, also, uh, uh, he ran a couple of different monasteries, so he was uh, very busy in uh, making sure that his brethren in the monastery had everything that they needed, and also seeing to the needs of the poor. Augustine is constantly complaining in his sermons that the, the coffers are empty because as quickly as they get money in or gifts or whatever it is that they give, they're distributing to them to the poor because that's uh, part of the warp and weft of their ministry, of what he has to do as a Christian with them and bishop for them. So Augustine was a very busy guy, and he describes his heavy cares, his burdens of duty and responsibility as a sarcina. It's a wonderful word that he uses, sarcina. Sarcina was the heavy military backpack carried by the Roman legions. That's how he describes his his burdens.
And yet, this is a man who loved study and quiet and contemplation. He longed, longed very much to find spaces within his busy day for prayer and meditation, quiet reflection. But of course, there was very little opportunity for that. But balancing, balancing these needs in his life uh, is always coming to the fore in his sermons. And in a certain way, uh, just as very often personal reflection uh, on his own needs and his own experiences gives Augustine theological insights, I can't help but think that maybe this gave him an insight into the balancing of the active life and the contemplative life. Uh, Augustine, in his writings and sermons, will sometimes pair up pairs of figures uh, symbolizing the active life and the contemplative life. For example, uh, Peter and John are figures or types of the active and the contemplative life, or uh, Leah and Rachel also from the Old Testament. But several times Augustine pairs up Martha and Mary as figures of the active life and the contemplative life. And as he examines them, remember, uh, he is always trying to find in his life otium in negotio. Otium, that is a, a space without pressing tasks, without the busyness of regular business. Otium, which means like leisure, uh, freedom from pressing care. Uh, as opposed to negotium, negotium, which is is the is the negative of otium, negotium. That is the lack of space without pressing tax. In other words, it's the busyness of regular business. It is the the performance of one's daily work and duties. It is negotium is the daily grind. Augustine was always trying to find negotium in negotio, quiet for quiet study, leisure, space for reflection in the midst of the cares of his very difficult vocation. And uh, so in, in several different sermons, in Sermon 103 and uh, the one following 104, and also in, I think, Sermon 179, Augustine ex uh, explores these different figures of Martha and Mary. Uh, showing how the one vocation uh, that is or the one state in life uh, the contemplative is superior to the active life uh, represented by Martha but nevertheless a life that has to be done has to be seen to has to be taken care of but which will come to its fulfillment and perfect balance only in heaven so in this life, there's the tension between the two, but these things will be resolved in heaven. And so when he talks to his flock about it, he always will join these discussions of the contemplative and the active, uh, especially in regard to the obligation of Christians to be active in respect, especially to the poor and the needs of uh, the the people, their neighbors, the people around them who are in need. Now, the sermon that we are going to hear, 
Sermon 103 uh, is uh, of uncertain date. We don't know when he he preached this. Is clearly uh, about Luke 10:38 to 42. Uh, this is the the famous scene where Jesus comes to Martha and Mary's house and uh, Martha is busy with many things and Mary is sitting at, at the Lord's knee uh, listening to what he has to say and Augustine explains what's going on and there are some things that you want to listen to uh, for in here keep your ears tuned to a few uh, important things for example he'll mention uh, the the place where we truly belong in Latin it's the patria which means homeland or fatherland and remember that Christ is, uh, for Augustine, Christ is always the way, the road to the fatherland. And another way of describing him, he is the door through which we would pass into our true home. Or he's the road that we follow to our true home, our true patria, our true fatherland. So keep your ears tuned to where we really belong, that place where all the things will be, will be fulfilled. Another thing that you want to keep tuned into is how Augustine will describe um, listening or carefully uh, attending to the word that the Lord speaks as in terms of eating at a feast. Uh, in the translation I'm using of 103, uh, Augustine's talking about Mary tucking into the feast. Well, what she's doing is she's she's attending feasting on every word that comes from the Lord's mouth he who is the word uh, in in flesh the word the eternal logos made man she's listening to every word and of course man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God another thing that you'll want to keep your ear tuned to is this focus on the one or unity without getting too far into this uh, augustine here is dealing with some problems in the philosophical life uh, in ancient philosophy especially in neoplatonism there was a search constant search for a resolution to the problem of the apparent multiplicity in the world in the world that we experience through the senses and so there's always a tension between unity and multiplicity but that's a philosophical concept especially in neoplatonism that informs kind of the philosophical the hellenic background of what augustine is talking about another thing that you want to keep your ears tuned to is uh, augustine's very short uh, little discourse his little digression into the Holy Trinity it flows out of this problem of unity and multiplicity, the, what the Christian response to this is. Uh, Augustine is going to talk about the, the Holy Trinity, and probably what this is, is uh, the kind of language uh, that that comes from Augustine. You can almost think of it as like being an anticipatory echo, if that makes any sense. You know, echoes really, they follow afterwards right but in this case it's an anticipation of something which will come a little bit later you might have heard of the so-called Athanasian Creed right the Athanasian Creed is this fabulous fabulous creedal statement summary of what we believe in especially focuses on the Trinity 
now, of course, it, it's attributed to St. Athanasius. St. Athanasius died in 373. But the Athanasian, what we call the Athanasian Creed, was probably the work of someone like Caesarius of Arles, who was a, a very serious student of Augustine. But uh, it would have been written after the year 500, so you know, obviously Athanasius didn't didn't write the thing, even though it's attributed to him. But when you when he talks about the Trinity, and he talks about these formulas, you can almost hear certain things that would have been taught to the faithful and how to understand the Trinity, and which are very useful for us even today. Another thing that you're going to listen to uh, for in this sermon, 103, is how Augustine speaks of God's saints. Uh, what he's talking about here are those who are truly committed in this life, in this world, to their faith, who are acting through their vocations. And remember in the ancient church there were different orders of course, there are the orders which have to do with the clergy, right? But, uh, you know, bishops, there were priests, and there were also deacons. And deacons were especially involved in the physical, the material administration of, of goods and their distribution uh, to the poor. But there were other orders as well. There was an order of virgins and an order of widows, and both of those uh, classes of women would receive a special consecration, recognition by the church. They even had their own places in the church. And as orders within the church, they would see to the needs, especially physical, material needs, as well as spiritual, of of women and, and children. But uh, Augustine will mention in here, for example, burying the dead. A lot of people don't know that among these different orders that there were, that saw to the material needs, the what we would call perhaps the corporal works of mercy. There was an order of grave diggers uh, also, and uh, they, that was a, a real work of mercy to bury the dead. And he's also speaking in terms of religious in monasteries. Of course, one now we're back to this tension, aren't we, between the active life and the contemplative life. But Augustine, what he's doing here in this sermon is he's really stressing very much how how people in this world, even though there are you know all of the necessities of prayer and contemplation and trying to seek you know quiet so that we can reflect on our our lives and and work through maybe deeper questions if possible, we also have to be involved with the needs of people that we see right before our eyes and never to neglect these things. Well, without any further ado, let's dig in here to Sermon 103 by the great Doctor of Grace, St. Augustine of Hippo. Verba Domini nostri Jesu Christi, quem modo ex evangelio recitata sunt, admonent nos esse unum aliquid quotendamus, quando in huius seculi multitudine laboramus. Tendimus autem adhuc peregrinantes, nondum manentes, adhuc in via, nondum in patria, adhuc desiderando, nondum fruendo. 
tamen tendamus, et sine pigritia et sine intermissione tendamus, ut aliquando pervenire valeamus. Marta et Maria due sorores erant, ambe non sodum carne, sed etiam redigione germane. Ambe domino coheserunt, ambe domino in carne presenti concorditer servierunt. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which were chanted just now in the Gospel, remind us that there is some one thing only toward which we are making our way as we cope with the multiple toils and troubles of this world, this age. We are still only making our way, though, as travelers, not yet residents, still on the road, not yet at home, still desiring it, not yet enjoying it. All the same, let's go on making our way there, and making our way there without dawdling, and without letting up, so that some time or other we may succeed in arriving. Martha and Mary were two sisters, sisters in piety as well as by blood. Both of them were very attached to the Lord, both happily served the Lord together while he was present in the flesh. Martha received him as travelers are normally received. Still, it was a maidservant receiving the master, a sick woman receiving the healer and savior, a creature receiving the creator. Needing to be fed in spirit herself, she received him to be fed in the flesh. The Lord, you see, wished to receive the form of a slave, and having received the form of a slave, to be fed in that form by slaves, thus doing them a favor, not seeking one. I mean, this too really was a favor, presenting himself to be fed. It's true, he had flesh in which he would feel hungry and thirsty. But don't you remember that when he was hungry in the desert, angels waited on him? So his wishing to be fed was a favor he granted to the person who fed him. Why should this surprise us, seeing that he granted the widow the same favor with respect to St. Elijah, whom he had previously been feeding through the services of a crow? Had he run out of resources for feeding him when he sent him to the widow? Not at all. But he was planning to bless the devout widow through her looking after his servant. So that's how the Lord was received as a guest. The Lord who came to his own possessions, and his own people did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Adopting slaves, and making them into brothers, redeeming captives, and making them into joint heirs. Don't let any of you say, though, oh, how lucky they were to have had the privilege of welcoming Christ into their home. Don't be disappointed. Don't grumble because you were born at a time when you could now not see the Lord in the flesh. He hasn't, in fact, deprived you of this privilege and honor. When you did it, he says, to one of the least of mine, you did it to me. I have taken this opportunity of saying these few things to you about feeding the Lord in the flesh, but being fed by him in the spirit. Let's come now to the matter I proposed for consideration at the beginning, about 
unity. Martha, making arrangements to feed the Lord, was busy with many preparations and services. Mary, her sister, chose rather to be fed by the Lord. She did, after a fashion, desert her sister, toiling away at the manifold business of waiting on them, and sat at the Lord's feet, keeping still, listening to his talk. With a very true ear she had heard, Be still and see that I am the Lord. Martha was getting hot and bothered. Mary was tucking into the feast. That one was busy with many things. This one was gazing on one thing. Each courtesy is good, but still, why should it be up to us to say which is better? We have someone we can ask. Let us listen to him together. We have already heard which is the better when the story was read. Let's hear it again as I remind you of it. Martha interrupts her guest with an appeal. She lays before the judge her plea and her affectionate complaints that her sister has deserted her and neglected to help her as she slaves away like that in waiting on the company. When the defendant, though present, does not reply, the Lord gives his judgment. Mary preferred, like a lady of leisure, to commit her case to the judge, and did not wish to put herself to the trouble of replying. After all, if she were to prepare a speech in reply, she would be giving up her intention of only listening. So the Lord replied, and the Word gave him no trouble, because he was the Word. So what did he say? Martha, Martha, the repetition of the name is a sign of affection, or perhaps it is just meant to gain her attention, to make her listen more attentively. He called her twice, Martha, Martha, listen. You are busy with many things, but there is only one thing necessary. That was the one thing Mary had chosen. Think about this notion of one my dear brothers and sisters, and see if the one thing in a multitude that delights us isn't some kind of one. Just look how many of you are here, by the grace of God. How intolerable you would be unless you were all of one mind. Where among so many does this silence come from? Bring in the idea of one and it's a people. Take away that one and it's a mob. What, after all, is a mob but a mobile multitude? But listen to the apostle. But I beseech you, brethren. He was addressing a multitude, but he wished to make them all one. But I beseech you, brethren, that you should all say the same Thing, and there should not be dissensions among you, but that you should be perfected in the same mind and in the same knowledge. And here he is in another place. Being of one accord, of one sentiment, doing nothing pugnaciously or vaingloriously. And here is the Lord praying to the Father about his followers, that they may be one just as we too are one. And in the Acts of the Apostles we have this, The multitude of believers had one soul and one heart. 
So, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together as one. Because there is one thing necessary, that one supreme thing, that oneness where Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one. Just see how unity is commended to us. Certainly our God is a trinity, a threesome. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, but the Spirit of them both. And yet these three are not three gods, not three almighties, but one almighty God, the trinity of persons, one God. Because there is one thing necessary. To this ultimate oneness, nothing can carry us through, unless being many, we have one heart. Services performed for the poor are good, and especially so are the offices duly performed for God's saints, the religious respect that is owed them. These are rendered as a duty, you see. They are not just optional gifts, as the Apostle tells us. If we have sown spiritual goods for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material benefits? They are good. I am encouraging you in their performance, and building you up in the word of God. Do not be slack about welcoming the saints. Sometimes, by welcoming those they did not know, people have welcomed angels without knowing it. All this is good, yet what Mary chose is better. All this keeps one busy out of need, but the other keeps one sweet out of love. When you are serving at table, you want to be available to those you are waiting on, and sometimes you can't be. You've got to look for something that is lacking. You've got to prepare something that's there. Your attention is pulled two ways at once. I mean, if Martha had been able to cope with all she had to do, she wouldn't have demanded her sister's help. Such concerns are many, are various, because they are material, because they are time-bound. Even though they are good, they are transitory. What, in any case, did the Lord say to Martha? Mary has chosen the better part. Not that you chose a bad one, but she chose better. Listen to what makes it better, which shall not be taken away from her. Some time or other the burden of need will be taken away from you. The sweetness of truth is eternal. What she has chosen will not be taken away from her. It is not taken away, but still it can be increased, or rather, in this life it can be increased. In the next life it will be perfected. It will never be taken away. But as for you, Martha, if you will allow me to say so, blessed as you are in your good service, for all this trouble of yours you are looking for a reward, for a rest from your labors. Now you are busy with your many ministrations. You are intent on feeding mortal bodies of the saints, it is true. But when you come to that home country... Do you imagine that you will find any traveler you can welcome as a guest? 
Will you find anyone hungry you can break your bread for? Anyone thirsty you can give a drink to? Anyone sick you can visit? Anyone quarreling you can reconcile? Anyone dead you can bury? There won't be any of all this there. But what will there be over there? What Mary chose. There we shall be fed. We won't be providing food. Thus, what Mary chose here will be full and complete there. She was picking up crumbs from that lavish, sumptuous table, from the word of the Lord. Well, friends, do you want to know what you will find there? The Lord himself says about his servants, Amen, I tell you, that he will make them sit down, and he will pass along and wait on them. What does sitting down mean but keeping still with nothing to do? What does sitting down mean but resting? And what's the meaning of he will pass along and wait on them? First he passes along, and in this way waits on them. But where? At that heavenly banquet about which he says, Amen, I tell you, many will come from east and west, and will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's where the Lord provides food. But first he passes along from here. As I am sure you know, the word Pascha, which we call Easter, means Passover or passing. The Lord came, he performed divine deeds, suffered human pains. He isn't still being spat on, is he? Still being slapped, still being crowned with thorns, still being scourged, still being crucified, still being pierced with a lance. He has passed over, passed along. Lastly, the gospel too speaks in this way. When he kept the Passover with his disciples, what does the gospel say? But when the hour had come for Jesus to pass over from this world to the Father, so then he passed along in order to provide food. Let us follow in order to be fed. Ceturum tu, Marta, pace tua dixerim, in bono ministerio benedicta, pro isto labore tuo mercedem queris quietem. Modo occupata est circa multum ministerium, pacere vis mortalia corpora, licet sanctorum. Numquid cum veneris ad ilam patriam invenies peregrinum, quem suscipias hospitio, invenies esurientem, cui panem frangas, sitientem, cui potum porigas, egrum, quem visites, litigantem quem concordes, mortuum quem sepelias, omnia ista ibi non erunt, sed quid ibi erit, quod Maria elegit. Ibi pascemur, non pascemus. Ideo hoc ibi erit plenum atque perfectum, quod hic elegit Maria de ila mensa opulenta, de verbo domini micas colligebat. Nam vultis nosse quid ibi erit? Dominus ipse dicit de servis suis, am indico vobis quia faciet eos recumbre, transibit et ministravit illis.
recumbre quidest nisi vacare recumbere quidest nisi requiescere quidest transibit et ministrabit ilis prius transit et sic ministrat sedubi in illo convivio superno de quo dicit amindico vobis multia boriente et occidente venient et recumbent cum abraham et isaac et jacob in regno celorum ibi dominus pacit sed prius hinc transit nam ut noveritis pasca transitus interpretatur venit dominus pecit divina passus est humana numquid adhuc conspuitur numquid adhuc expalmatur numquid adhuc spinis coronatur numquid adhuc flagellatur numquid adhuc crucifigitur numquid adhuc lancia vulneratur transivit denique et evangelium sic loquitur quando pasca fecit cum discipuli suis quid dicit evangelium cum autem venisset ora ut Jesus transiret de hoc mundo ad patrem ergo ile transivit ut pascat nos sequamur ut pascamur Translated from the Italian by Una Vicenzo Turbridge. Pellegrini in Carrehi, New York, 1950. On the Trail Don Camillo had let himself go a bit in the course of a little sermon. He had made some rather pointed allusions to certain people, and so on the following evening, when he seized the ropes of the church bells, all hell broke loose. Some damned soul had tied firecrackers to the clappers of the bells. No harm done, of course, but there was a din of explosions shattering enough to give the ringer heart failure. Don Camillo said nothing. He celebrated the evening service in perfect composure before a crowded congregation. Pepone was in the front row, and every countenance was a picture of fervor. It was enough to infuriate a saint, but Don Camillo was no novice in self-control, and his audience went home disappointed. As soon as the big doors of the church were closed, Don Camillo snatched up an overcoat and, on his way out, made a hasty genuflection before the altar. "'Don Camillo,' said Christ, "'put it down.' "'I don't understand,' protested Don Camillo. "'Put it down.' 
Don Camillo drew a heavy stick out from under his coat and laid it in front of the altar. Not a pleasant sight, Don Camillo. But, Lord, it isn't even oak. It's only poplar, light and supple, Don Camillo pleaded. Go to bed, Don Camillo, and forget about Peppone. Don Camillo threw up his hands and went to bed with a temperature. But on the following evening, when Peppone's wife came to the rectory, he leaped to his feet as though a firecracker had gone off under his chair. Don Camillo, began the woman, who was obviously upset, but Don Camillo interrupted her. Get out of my sight, sacrilegious creature! Don Camillo, never mind about that foolishness. At Castellino there is that poor devil who tried to support Peppone. They have driven him out of the village. Don Camillo counted to ten and lit a cigar. Well, what of it, comrade? Why should you bother about it? The woman started to shout, I'm bothering because they came to tell Peppone, and he has gone rushing off to Castellino like a lunatic, and he has taken his tommy gun with him. I see. Then you have got concealed arms, have you? Don Camillo, never mind about politics. Can't you understand that Peppone is out to kill? Unless you help me, my husband is done for. Don Camillo laughed unpleasantly. <laughs> Which will teach him to tie firecrackers to my bells. I shall be pleased to watch him die in jail. You get out of my house. Ten minutes later, Don Camillo, with his skirts tucked up almost to his neck, was pedaling like a lunatic along the road to Castellino on a racing bike that belonged to the son of his assistant. There was a splendid moon, and when he was within a few miles of Castellino, Don Camillo saw by its light a man sitting on the wall of the little bridge that spans the river. He slowed down, since it is always best to be prudent when one travels by night, and stopped some ten yards from the bridge, holding in his hand a small object that he happened to have had in his pocket. "'Have you seen a big man go by on a bicycle in the direction of Castellino?' he asked. "'No, Don Camillo,' replied the other quietly. Don Camillo drew nearer. "'Have you already been to Castellino?' "'No, I thought it over. It wasn't worth while. "'Was it my fool of a wife who put you to this trouble?' "'Trouble? Nothing of the kind. A little constitutional.' "'Have you any idea what a priest looks like on a racing bike?' snickered Peppone. Don Camillo came and sat beside him on his wall. "'My son, you must be prepared to see all kinds of things in this world.' Less than an hour later Don Camillo was back at the rectory and went to report to Christ. "'Everything went according to your commandments.' "'Well done, Don Camillo.' But would you mind telling me who commanded you to grab him by the feet and tumble him into the ditch? Don Camillo raised his arms. To tell you the truth, I can't remember exactly. As a matter of fact, he seemed to find the sight of a priest on a racing bike distasteful, so I thought it only kind to stop him from seeing it any longer. I understand. Has he got back yet? Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll be here soon. It struck me that in his rather damp condition he might find the bicycle in his way, so I thought it best to bring it along with me. 
"'Very kind of you, I'm sure, Don Camilo,' said Christ, with perfect gravity. Just before dawn, Pepone appeared at the door of the rectory. He was soaked to the skin, and Don Camilo asked if it was raining. "'Fog,' replied Pepone, with chattering teeth. "'May I have my bicycle?' "'Why, of course, there it is.' "'Are you sure there wasn't a t t tommy gun tied to it?' Don Camilo smiled. "'A tommy gun? And what is that?' As he turned from the door, Pepone said, "'I have made one mistake in my life. I tied firecrackers to your b bells. It should have been a half a ton of dynamite!' "'Errare humanum est,' remarked Don Camilo." Night School In the empty church, by the faint light of the two altar candles, Don Camilo was chatting with Christ about the outcome of the local elections. "'I don't presume to criticize your actions,' he wound up, "'but I would never have let Pepone become mayor, "'with a council in which only two people really know how to read and write properly.' "'Culture is not important to Don Camilo,' replied Christ with a smile. "'What counts are ideas. "'Eloquent speeches get nowhere unless there are practical ideas at the back of them. "'Before judging, suppose we put them to the test.' "'Fair enough,' conceded Don Camilo. "'I really said what I did because if the lawyer's party had come out on top, "'I had assurances that the bell tower of the church would be repaired. "'Now, if it falls down... The people will have the compensation of watching the construction of a magnificent people's palace for dancing, sale of alcoholic liquors, gambling in a theater, and a jail for venomous reptiles like Don Camilo, added Christ. Don Camilo lowered his head. Lord, you misjudge me, he said. You know how much a cigar means to me. Well, look, this is my last cigar, and look what I am doing with it. He pulled a cigar out of his pocket and crumbled it in his enormous hand. Well done, said Christ. Well done, Don Camilo. I accept your penance. Nevertheless, I should like to see you throw away the crumbs, because you would be quite capable of putting them in your pocket and smoking them in your pipe later." "'But we're in church,' protested Don Camilo. "'Never mind that, Don Camilo. "'Throw the tobacco into that corner.' Don Camilo obeyed, while Christ looked on with approval. And just then a knocking was heard at the little door of the sacristy, and Pepone came in. "'Good evening, Mr. Mayor,' said Don Camilo, with deference. Listen, said Pepone, if a Christian were in doubt about something that he had done and came to tell you about it, and if you found that he had made some mistakes, would you point them out to him, or would you simply leave him in ignorance? Don Camilo protested indignantly, How can you dare to doubt the honesty of a priest? His primary duty is to point out clearly all the penitent sinner's mistakes. "'Very well, then,' exclaimed Pepone. "'Are you quite ready to hear my confession?' "'I'm ready.' Pepone pulled a large sheet of paper out of his pocket, and began to read, 
citizens, at the moment when we are hailing the victorious affirmation of our party, Don Camillo interrupted him with a gesture and went to kneel before the altar. Lord, he murmured, I am no longer responsible for my actions. But I am, said Christ promptly. Pipponi has outsmarted you, and you must play fair and do your duty. But, Lord, persisted Don Camillo, you realize, don't you, that you are making me work for the party? You are working in the interests of grammar, syntax, and spelling, none of which is either diabolical or sectarian. Don Camillo put on his glasses, grasped a pencil, and set to work correcting the speech that Pepone was to make the following day. Pepone read it through intently. Good, he approved. There is only one thing that I do not understand. Where I had said, it is our intention to extend the schools and to rebuild the bridge over the Fosalto, you have substituted... It is our intention to extend the schools, repair the church tower, and rebuild the bridge over the Fosalto. Why is that? Merely a question of syntax, explained Don Camillo gravely. Blessed are those who have studied Latin and who are able to understand the niceties of language, sighed Pepone. And so, he added, we are to lose even the hope that the tower may collapse on your head. Don Camilo raised his arms. We must all bow before the will of God. After seeing Pepone to the door, Don Camilo came to say good night to Christ. Well done, Don Camilo, said Christ with a smile. I was unfair to you, and I am sorry you destroyed your last cigar. It was a penance that you did not deserve. Nevertheless, we may as well be frank about it. Pepone was a skunk not to offer you even a cigar after all the trouble you took. Oh, all right, sighed Don Camillo, fishing a cigar from his pocket and preparing to crush it in his big hand. No, Don Camillo, smiled Christ. Go and smoke it in peace. You have earned it. But no, Don Camillo, you didn't exactly steal it. Pepone had two cigars in his pocket. Pepone is a communist. He believes in sharing things. By skillfully relieving him of one cigar, you only took your fair share. You always know best, exclaimed Don Camillo. With that, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Please come and visit the blog, wdtprs.com. That's What Does the Prayer Really Say? Whiskey, Delta, Tango, Papa, Romeo, Sierra.com. You can participate in many different conversations. They're all about life, the universe, and everything happening. So until I speak to you again, this is Father John. Z.
Zoldar Farizi signing off. Please pray for me as I will for you. Come, 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 come.